0: Good morning, church family. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here at North Shore Alliance Church, and it is a joy to open up God's word with you this morning. We are continuing our series on characters in the Old Testament, and last week we got four lessons of faith from the life of Abraham and Sarah. And this week we will look at a story from the life of Isaac. And in a lot of ways, this is a companion message to last week's message on faith, And we will explore how we can trust God in the midst of opposition and hardship. First, we'll see the foundation of our trust. Second, we'll see how fear neglects God and others. And third, we'll see how faithfulness blesses God and others. So number one, the foundation of our trust is the faithfulness of God. The foundation of our trust is the faithfulness of God. Let's open up uh, our passage for the morning, Genesis chapter 26, and we'll start in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live, stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, In my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. These verses, in many ways, serve as a callback to Abraham's own call and promise of blessing in Genesis chapter 12. God promises Abraham three things land, descendants, and blessing. And not blessing just for him, but that through him all the families on the earth would be blessed. God's redemptive plan was never meant just for one people group, but his plan was always to use the one for the benefit of the many. And following the promise, Abraham obeys. He builds an altar, he calls upon the name of the Lord, and after this initial obedience, Abraham's faith is tested as he flees to Egypt due to a severe famine. Now, as we fast forward to our text this morning, we see many of the elements in Abraham's story mirrored in the life of Isaac. While Abraham's call began with a command to go, Isaac's call begins with a command to stay. In the face of the famine, God calls Isaac to settle down in a land with no food. And in a place with no provision, it is there that God reaffirms the covenant that he makes with Abraham. The promise of land, descendants, and blessing for the nations would indeed be carried on by Isaac. And Isaac is reminded that to be blessed and to be a blessing begins with obedience. And so what we see is that Isaac obeys. He settles down in Gerar, flying the, uh, passing the test with flying colors. So far, all is Well, One promise of God that I want to highlight in the story precedes the promise of land, descendants, and blessing. In verse three, after the command to stay, the first promise that God gives to Isaac is, I will be with you. And that is something we can hold on to for today. When we are in a season of famine, a season of waiting, a season when deliverance is yet to be experienced the promise that we can hold on to is that God is with us. And this is a promise of God that is repeated for the people of God throughout the Old and New Testaments. It is the one thing that sets us apart from the rest of the world, God's abiding presence with us. And that is what we as human, humans need, and we already know this in part. A person is more willing to work out or try a physically demanding task when a friend signs up with them. A child is more willing to try a scary ride if their parent is beside them. An employee is willing to keep a policy on an issue when the employer backs them up. There is strength and confidence when we know we are not alone. And what we need in the ups and downs of life is to know that God is with us. When God calls us into something difficult and it seems like the outcomes are unclear or whether we're caught in the storms of life, we can find strength because God is present to us. He will not abandon us. He is with us. But unfortunately, I often have the memory of a goldfish when it comes to remembering that God is with me. Aside, how did they measure the memory of a goldfish? That's amazing. As the storms hit, In seasons of famine, in seasons of waiting, my heart is prone to forgetting that God is with me. And yes, we wrestle with God in those seasons when we feel distant from him. Read any part of the scriptures and you'll quickly see that following God is not always fair weather and smooth sailing. God with us means that we're invited to bring all of our frustrations, our doubts, our disappointments to God, knowing that he walks with us and leads us through the darkest valleys. The foundation of our trust in the midst of hardship and opposition is the faithfulness of God. He is trustworthy. All he says he will do, and he is good, and he is for us and with us. While God remains faithful in times of hardship and opposition, we can resign to fear instead of live by faith. And these next verses show us how responding in fear neglects God and others. So let's continue in our passage, starting in verse 7. When the men of that place asked him, Isaac, about his wife, he said, "She is my sister, because... He was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say, she is my sister? Isaac answered him because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of my men might have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death following isaac's initial obedience we see that his faith is tested once again the men of that place start to inquire about his wife and once again the life of abraham is mirrored in isaac's life and unfortunately the old saying holds true the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and isaac just like his father, uses the same exact deception tactic to get out of what he perceives to be a dangerous situation. He saves his own skin by saying Rebecca is his sister and not his wife. And of course, that puts his wife in harm's way, because she could potentially be taken as someone else's wife. And Isaac was doing what you would do when you encounter a large grizzly bear with your group, you run and you make sure that you're not the slowest one in the group. After receiving the promises of God's presence with him, after receiving the promises of land, descendants, and blessing, when Isaac's faith is tested, God's words are forgotten and fear consumes him. And Isaac chooses the path of deception instead of trust. And the text tells us that Isaac continues this charade for a long time. And it just so happened that one day, Abimelech catches them in the act. Now, in the Hebrew, it's not clear what they were doing. Uh, Some translations say Isaac was laughing with his wife. Some translations say that he was caressing his wife. But it is clear, one thing is clear, they are not siblings. And when asked by the king why Isaac lied to them, Isaac says, I thought I might lose my life. He was worried only about himself. And now contrast with the king's response. The king's re- uh, concern is for his people. You would have brought guilt on us. And Abimelech's righteous response is amplified in commanding his people to leave Isaac and Rebecca alone. The situation Isaac was placed in was a testing of his faith. Would God truly preserve Isaac and Rebekah during the famine in the land? Would God truly provide descendants or would Rebecca be stolen away and Isaac killed? Are God's promises a yes and amen or are they a maybe and perhaps? And in the process of This testing, Isaac relies on his own cleverness and deception to skirt his obedience to God. And instead of being an agent of blessing to the nations, which was his calling, he almost becomes a source of cursing to the nations. And this was one of Pastor Jeremy's points last week. The cost of our disobedience does not come at a personal cost alone, but it affects our neighbors as well. When our faith is tested and it will be tested how will we respond in fear or faithfulness in our own cleverness or even deception or will we trust in what god has spoken when i was graduating from my undergraduate program i was in the process of discerning which masters program i should pursue and at that time, I was serving as a pastoral intern at a church, and they wanted me. They wanted to keep me on staff, and they encouraged me to check out a program that was close by. And I loved that church, and I enjoyed that pastoral team. And upon looking at that program, it seemed like a perfect fit for me. And so I started a process of discernment, I had conversations with my parents, my mentors, my professors, and my friends, and there was unity in their discernment. And as I discerned myself, it was clear that the Lord was directing me to this particular program. But there was one deterrent for me saying yes to the program, and that was the cost. I had taken out my calculator. I crunched the numbers. Surely, I can't afford this place. It's impossible. It was so expensive, I couldn't think of a way that I could afford it. And so I talked to my parents about this, and they said, well, if God is calling me there... He will provide for you to be there. And I said, oh, you're going to bring God into this again. And so I did what I thought was best. I chose a different program and did not trust God. And I left a church that loved me. And I left for not a very good reason at all. And of course, I came up with very holy-sounding answers to cover up the fact that I didn't trust God. I want to be a good steward of my resources. You know, I'm going into ministry, I don't want to be in debt, and these are good things to do, of course. But it was an excuse for the real reason. It became clear as soon as I got to the school, it was not where I was supposed to be. I transferred out only a year after being there. I relied on my own cleverness and resourcefulness to skirt my obedience to God's call. And to call back one of last week's sermon points, it is absolutely true that the cost of disobedience is far more painful than the cost of obedience. But the good news is that there is grace, and God is in the business of redeeming mistakes and even use them for our good. And for Isaac, it was a grace of God that Abimelech caught him and Rebekah before anything horrible happened. So what's one practical way that can keep us mindful of God and others and not respond in fear? Find faithful friends who will love you, point you to Jesus, and who are willing to speak the truth to you even when it is difficult or uncomfortable. Oftentimes, God's tangible presence with us is experienced in the community of God. So next time you are feeling fearful, gather your small group or your friends or come forward for prayer on a Sunday morning and seek God's face together as a community. So we have seen the foundation of our trust, which is the faithfulness of God. We have seen how the response of fear neglects God and others. And now we will see how responding in faithfulness blesses God and others. Genesis chapter 26, in verse 12, starting in verse 12. So Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. After the failure of Isaac, we see a picture of grace, And the scene shifts from famine to feasting. In spite of the faithlessness of Isaac, God chooses to demonstrate his faithfulness in keeping his end of the covenant. And so when Isaac plants for the very first time in the land, he reaps a harvest of a hundredfold. And this is not because he had the cutting-edge agricultural practices of the day. It's not because he was a skilled farmer. It's not because of pure luck, but it's because God blessed him. And this rise in wealth, prominence, and power results in jealousy, and this is, of course, human nature. Instead of rejoicing with others in their blessing, our first thought tends to be, why them, of all people, and why not me? And so the locals give Isaac a not-so-subtle message by filling up all of his wells with dirt. And no water means no survival in the ancient Near East. And to top it all off, the king tells Isaac to pack up his things and get out of town. They are envious and afraid of Isaac. So now Isaac has to relocate and find another source of water. What happens next? Verse 18. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Once again, we see a mirroring of the life of Isaac and Abraham. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours, So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. So in Isaac's first move and dig, he strikes water. But once again, Isaac's endeavors are stifled and their water supply taken from them by the local herdsmen. So once again, Isaac needs to relocate and find another source of water. Verse 21, Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, So he named it Sitna. Now, this is the third time where a sustainable source of water has been taken away from Isaac. And by this point, I'm sure Isaac and his traveling companions must have been exhausted. Will God come through for them? Will they ever settle down? Will they ever find water for their community? Verse 22, he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, The Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Isaac once again moves, digs, and finds water, but this time, instead of opposition, he finds an open land to settle in. Isaac recognizes that it is the Lord that has provided a space them to flourish in the land. And this is the same word that you see throughout Genesis 1, to be fruitful. Finally, things are looking up. And what's so interesting about all three of these conflicts at the wells is what Isaac is not seen doing. He's the one with the power, the resources, and a vast number of servants. He doesn't hire out mercenaries. He doesn't build up an army. He doesn't forge weapons. He doesn't bully or threaten. He simply moves and digs. He moves and digs and he moves and digs. And all this moving and digging comes just after Isaac has responded in fear in his failure in the whole wife-sister debacle. What happened to Isaac? Perhaps the the sting of his failure reminded him that God was indeed trustworthy and that in the midst of opposition that God was with him. So he didn't have to assert his rights. He didn't have to resort to retaliation. He didn't have to hoard the blessings of water that he came across. God would provide. So what's the proper response to God's faithfulness and provision. Let's continue reading in our passage, verse 23. From there, he went to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, "'I am the God of your father Abraham. "'Do not be afraid, for I I am with you. "'I will bless you and will increase the number "'of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham.'" So Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. The proper response to God's faithfulness and promise is worship. Just like his father Abraham now in a positive example, Isaac builds an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. And once again, God reaffirms his promise and tells him that he has nothing to fear because he is with him. Once again, it is the presence of the Lord that would make all the difference in Isaac's journey. And so Isaac sets up camp once again, and we see him digging yet another well. Will he strike water again? Let's continue reading. Verse 26. Meanwhile... Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you, Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did no harm to you, and always treated you well, and sent you away peacefully, and now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went peacefully. So as soon as he starts digging another well, Abimelech, Ahuzath, and Phicol arrive on the scene. Had they come to quarrel over this well too? Had they come to pick a fight? No, just the opposite. They've come to make peace. They recognize that the Lord was with Isaac, and they want to make a sworn agreement that Isaac would not bring any harm to them. Now if I were Isaac, after listening to their appeal, I probably would not have been so gracious. I probably would have started something like this. Well, 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 pun intended. One well for every well that you took away from me. You did me no harm. I would have started laughing out loud at that point. Do you remember all the wells you stopped up? Do you know how many times we had to relocate and walk through this desert and dig new wells? Now that you mention it, you probably owe me. But Isaac doesn't do or say anything like that. Isaac, even though in a position of power, doesn't retaliate. Instead, he prepares a table for his enemies. He wines and dines his guests. He makes a peaceful treaty with them and sends them on their way peacefully by trusting in god and not responding in fear or revenge isaac becomes a blessing to his neighbor so whatever happened to that well they dug in beersheba let's finish out our passage verse 32 that day isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug They said, we found water, and he called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of that town has been Beersheba. The story ends with Isaac striking water once more. This is to underscore the fact that God was indeed with Isaac, a beautiful scene of peace and blessing Isaac, once again, can know that God is trustworthy and that his promises are sure. He doesn't need to respond in fear, in deception, or in retaliation. He can simply trust and follow God. The thread that ties this whole passage together is the promise of God's presence. In chapter 26, verse 3, we see the Lord saying to Isaac, I will be with you, future tense. In chapter 26, verse 24, the Lord says to Isaac, I am with you, present tense. In chapter 26, verse 28, the king and the people recognize and say to Isaac, the Lord was with you, past tense. Isaac has been surrounded by the presence of God in his past, his present, his future. He can be confident that God will be faithful to his promises, which gives Isaac the freedom and confidence to be faithful to God. When we follow God, we will encounter opposition, hardships, and roadblocks. But in those moments, we don't need to fear. We don't need to assert our rights or power. We don't need to hoard our blessings. We can choose the path of trusting God. We can choose the path of being a blessing to others. And we can walk faithfully and confidently because God will be with us wherever we go. God is with us in the middle of the storm. And when we get through the darkest valley, we will have seen that God has been with us all along. Friends, may we be a people whose confidence is the faithfulness of God, and may it cause us to live out our lives not in fear, but in faithfulness to the one who loves us and is with us. At this time, I would like to invite our worship team and prayer ministers to take their place. We will have two songs of response. And perhaps you are in a season right now where your faith is being tested. And it is your heart's desire that you would respond in faithfulness instead of fear. Please don't hesitate to come for prayer. Our prayer ministers, Leah and Daniel, are available and would love to pray with you. And let me pray for you as we respond. Father God, we thank you for your promise that you are with us. That's one of your names, God with us. And we ask that you would make us mindful of this truth, that you would cause us to run to you instead of away from you. May we be reminded of your great faithfulness And may it give us the freedom and the confidence to live by faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name.